In today's podcast, let's talk about the emotional life of Jesus. I'm always interested in how people see Jesus emotionally, and some people see him as like unflappable. He was Teflon. He never was emotionally rattled or upset. He was just always calm, cool, and collected, like an, an emotional Superman, or maybe more like a disconnected robot sometimes, it seems. But the Bible gives us a, a lot of information about his emotional state, and I would introduce it by pointing you to Hebrews 14, excuse me, Hebrews 4 and 14, where he says that our high priest, Jesus, is one who's been tempted in all things as we are. Now, I would say to you that he understands what life's about, and he's been through the gamut of life, and he knows the feelings that you know. Now, I get the situations vary, the time and the details obviously vary, but he knows. And he showed us the way in the midst of emotions, both good and bad, how to discipline our bodies and make it our slave, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, or how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, as Paul would teach in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Christ stood in those emotional situations. He experienced the emotions. He lived through them, and thus he shows us the way. So let's start with Christ and exhaustion. Have you ever just been slap worn out at the end of your rope? Well, if so, Christ has been there. Now, what happens to us is we're trying to be all things to all people, and we need to learn to stop it. <laughs> Jesus set boundaries. He had some limits, and he knew fatigue firsthand. This isn't some strange concept to him. In fact, when we read in Mark 6 and 31, he tells us that there were so many people coming and going, they did not even have time to eat. When we look at Luke 5 and 16, it tells us that Jesus would slip away into the wilderness to pray because he was trying to get away from the crowds. So he knew what it was like just to have constant, relentless pressure and people trying to get a piece of your time without any opportunity to rest. And what he did was he took care of the caregiver. He didn't try to solve everybody's problem. And so Christ, in times of exhaustion, just learned to set boundaries. But I'm telling you, he felt that exhaustion that you feel, and he understood that exhaustion you feel, and he simply learned to manage it. He didn't invoke divine special powers. He learned to manage it. Now, let's talk about frustration for a moment, because did he ever know frustration, especially from his own disciples? In Matthew 7, get on down to verse 17, excuse me, Matthew 17, and down to verse 17, he says to his disciples, how long shall I be with you? He called them an unbelieving and perverted generation and wanted to know how long he had to put up with them. He was disappointed with them. They had failed to work a miracle. They didn't have the faith to work that miracle. So he criticized them. He admonished them. He did not bury his feelings. He did not pretend that everything was okay. He knew what it was to be frustrated. He experienced frustration. In another text in Mark chapter 4, verse 38 through 40, he says to them, this is when they were on the boat and the storm came, <clears throat> He said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He expected more of them. And then there was another time when they got worried that he was 
criticizing them for not bringing bread when he warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And he said, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000? That's over in Matthew 16. And you can start about verse 6 reading there. He expected them to learn to connect the dots. They had seen the miracle of the 5,000. They had seen the miracle of the 4,000. And he expected them to learn some things and understand some things. And yet they still wanted to be spoon-fed. They were still babies on the bottle, so to speak. And he was frustrated. He was upset and he was angry with them. And there's a wonderful point to be made here. And that is being frustrated is not wrong. Nor is being frustrated a weakness. Times of frustration are part of life. And Jesus knows by experience that part of life. So when you feel frustrated, don't feel like a weak Christian. Don't feel like you're bad just because you feel frustrated. Now, if you lose it and act in a way that's not Christian, okay, we got a different thing to talk about. But if you're just feeling frustrated, hey, that's life. That's part of it. And we have to learn to manage it just like Jesus shows us how to manage it. And it wasn't to bury it. And it wasn't to ignore it. He expressed his frustration. Next, next let's go to anger, because he also expressed his anger and just put it out there. In Matthew 23, we start at verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes, you Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he goes on to explain why he criticizes them and gives them his anger in that way. Jesus wasn't disconnected. He was not emotionless. He was an example of Paul's teaching where Paul said, be angry and do not sin. That's Ephesians 4 and 26. But Jesus didn't hold back. In fact, maybe you're already thinking of it. It's over in John chapter 2, start about verse 14. When he cleared the temple, he made him a whip and he cleared out the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins, poured out the coins of the money changers. Now get anger's not enjoyable, but anger's not wrong. It's part of life. And Jesus knew how to deal with angry people. And you and I as Christians need to learn how to be angry and deal with people in a Christian way. I'm afraid that sometimes we think if we're angry, we're a bad Christian. No. If we're angry, we're okay still. Unless we lose it and say some things we ought not to, and then we have a different story. But just being angry, Hey, that's life. And Jesus understood it, and he dealt with his own anger. Then we can talk about the more positive things like love and compassion and empathy. In Luke 13, starting at verse 11, he saw a woman that had been sick for 18 years, and he had compassion on her. And he reached out, and he healed her. And he saw another woman whose son had died. This is in Luke 7, and verse 12. And everybody's, of course, in mourning. They're, they're taking him out to bury him, and Christ raises him from the dead at that point. Now, this is interesting because it is, just has this wonderful empathy and this love and this compassion. He doesn't walk up to her and say, oh, quit your whining. If you knew that I, you knew what I was going to go through, I got Calvary ahead of me, woman. And they're going to beat me. They're going to put a crown of thorn on my head. They're going to nail me to a cross, and you're whining about this? Jesus did not discredit her grief. He was compassionate and caring. And yes, he knew he had Calvary ahead of him, but he shared in the grief of other people. He wept. And that, of course, is in John 11 and verse 35, where it tells us Jesus wept. 
mean, I don't think we need to make some big abstract theological thing out of this. I think as you read the text, it's pretty clear that he saw the other people weeping and he was deeply moved in his spirit and he wept. Jesus chose to feel grief and share in it. He didn't live in a protected bubble. He wasn't, you know, like Teflon or a robot or something. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced and he wept with those who wept, just like we're taught to do in Romans 12 and 15. There are other times where his grief was just over Jerusalem in general, where he saw Jerusalem and he wept over the city, Luke 19 to 41. And there are other times where he just had wonderful joy and, and he wanted our joy to be full. He's, he's there with us in compassion and care. That's Jesus. So in John 10, 10, he said he came that we might have life and have it more abundant. He wants our joy to be full. He said in John 15, about verse 11, that he taught us these things so that our joy may be full. That's what it's about. And he wanted his joy to be full. And he wanted his followers to have joy. And again, joy, that's just part of life. Can it be a distraction? Sure. Can it be a blessing? Sure. Depends on how we manage it. And Christ gives us an example of managing the positive side of life in a good and constructive way. And a little deeper part of the joy, we can look at Hebrews 12 too, where it tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. And so again, he was out to seek joy. But joy is a little bit funny sometimes. He got his joy through the cross, through doing the will of God. That's the joy that we really want to pursue. Not, not the shallow little temporary things, but the joy that's going to lead us to eternal life. And then the next one, it, it puzzles folks, and I, I'll let you work out the theology on this one. But there were times where Jesus was amazed. And I know people <clears throat> really have trouble with that, but that's what the text says. So I'm going to leave it at that and not try to go too deep. And Matthew 8 and verse 10, Jesus said, well, it says that when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. That's Matthew 8 and verse 10. Now, I looked up the word marvel. This is as deep as I went. And it said, wonder, surprise, and amazement. Jesus experienced that. Now, I'll let you work out the theology on it, but that's what the book says. In Mark 6, 5 and 6, it says he could do no miracles there, back in his hometown, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And notice verse 6. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Again, that's Mark 6, verse 5 and 6. And so Jesus was in those places that he was just like surprised, awed, wondered at why people weren't getting it. And I know we do the same thing. Sometimes it just looks so obvious to us that people ought to see it and they don't. And we're just like, wow, how can you not get this? Well, based on those two verses, Jesus had that same experience. So we have a high priest that we can relate to, or should I say it the other way around, he can relate to us. And then we'll come to love with a little, a little more direct approach, though we kind of had that in compassion and empathy. But he said, this is my command, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friend. That's John 12, excuse me, John 15, verse 12 and 13. Love is a paradox. Love is not always pleasant. The deepest, sweetest, 
most satisfying love can be absolutely lethal and kill your physical body. Isn't that crazy way to say it? But Jesus, his love caused him to leave heaven, live in poverty, go through uh, Gethsemane with sweat as drops of blood, uh, endure mocking, uh, being spit upon, hit, whipped, a crown of thorns, carried his cross, nailed to the cross, harassed and mocked and ridiculed while he's hanging on the cross, which reminds me, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love because he could have called 12 legions of angels. And so Jesus understood love from receiving the children and blessing them to the love that carried his cross to Calvary and died for us. Jesus lived life. And if you feel like he's off on a pedestal and he can't relate, then remember, we have a high priest who was tempted in everything just as we are. He knows from humanity's experience what it's like to live in this body of flesh. And he walked through many emotions and he showed us how to do it. And I'm going to say it again. It was not bury them and act like they don't exist and become stoic. It was to walk through the valley of negative emotions in a way worthy of Christ. And that's it. And you've got to be so careful there because Satan's bait on the negative emotions is to cause us to have a pity party. Jesus didn't go to a pity party. That's not the way he managed emotions. And on positive emotions, Satan's bait is for us to carry him to a very shallow, temporary, selfish level. And Jesus didn't do that either. So managing emotions does not mean eradicating emotions. It means using your emotions as a stepping stone for your spiritual journey and your own spiritual growth. Now, I'm pretty sure this little podcast gave you a little bit to think about as you try to get your head around the emotional life and feelings of Christ. So think on it, ponder it, share your thoughts in the comment section if you'd like. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And as always, I hope you have a great day.